Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 256 or 256. My name is John O'Logan and uh, hey, we're back. Uh, we've been gone for two weeks now because I did two episodes of Random in a row because we had uh, we had special guests and uh, because of that, uh, Mike graciously gave us uh, a time slot for Rhythm Encounter, which we alternate with on Mondays. So I did two weeks in a row, uh, Rhythm did two weeks in a row, and now we're back to our usual schedule. So if you missed us, we certainly missed you. And like I mentioned, the last few episodes of Random Encounter, we've been focusing on uh, several different topics. Uh, Hillary and I did a uh, an episode based around um, Random Book Club, which was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. And Caitlin and I did an episode on uh, asexual representation in RPGs. And then uh, Solosi and I sat down and we we did an interview with the uh, the gang at uh, Z-Boyd Games. And... Uh, because we've been doing all of these different things, we've been getting away from uh, what I really love to do, which is talk to, you know, the staff about games they've been playing. So today is going to be a good old fashioned review roundup uh, based around some of the games that uh, have been released over the last few weeks slash months. Yeehaw. Yeah, yeehaw. <laughs> review roundup. Um, wow, that might be really offensive to some <laughs> My my East Coast Canadian. <laughs> Yeehaw! It's okay. I'm Colorado. It balances out, right? I I I'm taking it. Um, yes, it does. It does. It excuses all of my my poor <laughs> my poor accent work. Okay. Well, joining us today, as you just heard, is Hillary. Hi. <laughs> and Des. Yeehaw. That was passable. That's perfectly fine. And Nikki. Yippee Kaye. Even better. I believed that accent more than any of the others. That was the most authentic, authentic accent I've heard thus far. Um, did everyone have a wonderful Thanksgiving if you celebrate Thanksgiving? Yeah. Yeah. We we had a sort of Friendsgiving. Although I am one of those people that kind of has some issues with Thanksgiving in the way it's currently structured, but that also seems to be changing, so that's good. Yes, I know that you got to see quite a few RPG fan people and uh, alumni, Yeah, which must have been absolutely lovely. It was so much fun. <sighs> God, I wish I could meet all you people in, in person. That would be so cool. One day we'll get back to meetups or MAGFest or both. Yeah, maybe this year we can all meet up at E3 again. Um well, let me let's let's just jump straight in. So we'll talk about the biggest game that is that has uh, come out probably in the last few weeks. Uh, certainly one of the most controversial games that's come out in the last few weeks, which is Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Now, this was not supposed to be a controversial game because, well, it, it's Pokemon, and unless you're, you know, if they're supposed to be you, Pokemon, you you know what you're going to get. But in this case, it seems like what we got was a whole lot of bugs. So, uh, Nikki, you are going to be reviewing uh, Scarlet and Violet. I guess my first question is, uh, this has been 11 days after its release. How buggy is the game still? Um, it's... I haven't come across, like, too many, like, bug bugs myself. But, oh, I've seen people play, um, especially, like, in co-op. And people's eyes are coming out of their heads. And they're turning into Ganondorf Pikachu from Melee. Uh, you know, it's um, it's it's like the Wild West out there. It's a lawless land, as they say. Yes, it's an open world uh, yeah, full of I mean, dangers, really but not is. the dangers they intended. Right. Um, oh, I think my biggest uh, problem in terms of like functionality is the lighting is really, really bad. Like oh. um, if I'm in the shadow of something and a battle starts... Um, every time I pick fight, 
to choose a Pokemon's moves, the shadow disappears entirely. So you can just like press A and B in rapid succession and make the make the shadow like appear and disappear like you're flickering like a light switch. It's really strange. Huh. Um, I get that frequently. That doesn't seem like a game breaking bug. Just one that makes you go, what the heck? Yeah. Um, I've gotten a lot like that. Like um, there was one time I was like, coming up on a little group of starly and uh one of them was t-posing and it's Mm. like that's a really cool bird asserting its dominance um and then it started flying away like normal and i'm like i guess i guess i was just uh i don't know walking in on it t-posing or something it was waking up Hmm? it was waking up i always wake up up in t-pose yeah don't you guys that's how we all wake up that's Um, a good point yeah (laughs) (laughs) um okay well now that we've gotten that out of the way aside from that how are you enjoying it it's it's good Ooh, that sounded like it was a loaded it's good i mean okay it's more than the bugs i'm worried about certain like technical like well i guess bugs are technical issues but they're unintentional technical issues right like okay um this is supposed to be like a really seamless experience. And that makes sense. Yeah, it's supposed to be an to open me. world, right? But I feel like there are some elements that kind of take you out of that. Like the bosses do not level scale. Ooh. And so I've gotten like a lot of people who um they'll go in at things in a certain order because they're next to each other on the map. But Mm -hmm. there's a level jump because Mm. they actually intended for you to go back and forth across the map. That's weird. I've read that the game is very non, it's it's still, it's non-linear, but there's no real design into the open world to even guide you. It's just kind of like throws you out to sea and hopes that you figure out where to go. Yeah, it's very aimless. And I find that that Mm. makes the problem of no uh level scaling bosses even worse right Mm. yeah like you'll be going and it's like oh um i finished this gym and uh you know after the grass gym is the fire team star base it's right there let's do it but you're meant to do the dark base first so if you do the fire base and then the dark base you go from a more difficult uh, base to one with lower levels huh. the the two that i was talking about beforehand there's this big empty like ice mountain and there are two gyms right next to each other and it's like okay they're literally right next to each other let's do them but level wise uh grusha is supposed to be the final gym and you're supposed to do the psychic one in between those two but the psychic one is like literally on the opposite end of the map ah okay so the pacing is really thrown by that right it's like okay like uh will i be prepared for this boss battle who knows because the wild pokemon around the area are not indicative of that okay um so it's like okay like i'm going i guess (laughs) we're here let's see if my pokemon can handle this or if they'll you know just curb stomp and curb stomped yeah like it's stomp or be stomped like there's no in between uh which version are you playing scarlet or Uh, violet i'm playing violet gotcha um i've been playing scarlet and i've run into the exact same issues where 
you go east or west, but you're supposed to go like east and west and east and west and east and west. So I've run into pretty much every single thing that you're saying, and it's super painful. Um, like when you go to a gym and you're so under leveled because you're supposed to bounce to the other side, or when you come back after you've already beat a difficult gym and just completely wipe the floor with the other one, it's it's kind of a letdown. So everything mm. everything Nikki says checks out, but. When you do, at least in my experience, when you do barely scrape by and beat someone who's 10 levels ahead of you, it feels really good. Hmm. That is true. Um, I do like that sense of satisfaction, but then it, it always ends up that, uh, oh man, then you end up with like, um, the next one is always going to be too easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Like I fought the bread lady, I think, as my third or fourth gym, and she's supposed to be the first one, I think. Oh, uh-huh. And she has like no personality other than she bakes bread. Yeah, the bug one. She's still in yeah. the first few months of the pandemic. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because this was, I mean, technically in terms of the game design, I guess you could say this is a follow-up to uh, uh, Pokemon Arceus, um, which was also semi-open world. So it doesn't sound like they kind of transitioned to that properly because I don't remember being told that that was a problem with that game. I didn't feel like it was when I played it. I really hate to say it because I think the story of Scarlet and Violet is a lot stronger. And the ideas of having like these three storylines that you can do in any order and mix and match and they converge, I think is a lot better. But I think uh, Legends does a much better job at the seamless factor. Definitely. I mean, I'm only a little way into Scarlet, but that's my feeling too. One of the things I hate the most um, in Legends, you can use the left and right buttons to scroll through your party. So if you see a Pokemon in the overworld, like, oh, that Pokemon is weak to water. Let me, you know, crouch down, hide, scroll to my Pokemon that's like grass type, and then attack it. You can't do that in Scarlet and Violet. You have, yeah. you have to pause the game, so you have to grind everything to a halt and move your Pokemon in the party from the pause menu. And the worst part is everything else on the overworld will keep moving. So oh. I pause the game to get my Pokemon ready. And then a Tauros comes and tries to attack me while I'm pausing the game. Like, calm down. Let me, let me just move my party around, please. It's not fun. It's not seamless at all. Is it one of those cool new Tauros, though? I mean, okay, like, it's cool, but it's like, dude, come on, I paused the game. Give me a second. That's rude. I mean, the idea of the game being, like, when the game is paused, everything's going on outside of the world. I understand that in, like, I don't know, a survival horror game or a game that is designed specifically to build tension. But this isn't that. This is a Pokemon game. And a lot of what a Pokemon game is, is management. And if you are, like, stressed out while you're doing management, then that's just frustrating. That's not fun. Yeah, Legends did that really, really well. Like, mm -hmm. I think the world exploration and the management in Legends is way, way better than Scarlet and Violet, unfortunately. Hmm. And I say unfortunately not because, like, oh, how dare Legends be good? I think Legends is great. But, like, why didn't you take that from there? And there are some other choices that Scarlet and Violet didn't take from from legends that i don't like uh shiny pokemon give no indicator that they're shiny on the overworld so if you're colorblind or the pokemon looks the same 
is in shiny as it does in regular, or the lighting is bad, which the lighting is awful in this game, good luck finding your shiny. People mm. have been on stream literally m missing shinies because they can't tell. Like, they don't, they, they don't have any indicator. Whereas in Legends, they would sparkle and have an audio, uh, an audio cue. So it's not fun. Um, like, oh my god. I almost, the other day, I almost missed a shiny Magneton because Aww. Magneton, ha it, it's really like shiny, right? It's uh, texture is very metallic. So I thought it was dark because it was in the shadow. The only reason why I fought it was because I said, oh, I need that for the Pokedex. And then it was shiny. And I'm like, oh my God, I literally almost walked away from this. Like, you cannot tell. This was not the game to have no shiny indicator. It's not a good choice. The only indicator that I've seen, or at least from what my sister um, has told me, is that when you have your Pokemon out and you're like sending it out to fight other ones, it won't attack a shiny. But that's super unreliable, and I'm pretty sure I've missed a shiny by not understanding that, because it was like, I would tell it to go attack it, it would shake its head, and then just, you know, shiny would disappear after a while. The thing with that, too, that I don't like is that sometimes the Pokemon won't attack if they are too high in the air. And that is arbitrary because the game does not do a good job at keeping track of distance. No. So I've fought non-shiny like Frostlass that are literally not even an inch above the ground. And my Pokemon refuses to attack because it reads as being too high above the ground. And then when I enter a battle, it is not shiny. So you're right. Like that is not, it's not a consistent enough indicator right. um, as to whether the Pokemon is shiny or not. Some Pokemon literally just won't fight. Some Pokemon refuse to get in the water. So if it's a mm -hmm. shiny in the water, you better hope one of your Pokemon knows how to swim. You know, <laughs> like... It's, mm. it's, it's the Wild West out there. I think part of the problem is, I mean, everyone's been talking about the development time that they've been putting into Pokemon games and Game Freak has been, uh, I can only imagine the level of crunch that they're under, but uh, Legends was released in, oh my God, I've lost track of time earlier this year, wasn't it? It was like January? January, yeah. Yeah, so clearly these two games were being developed side by side, which explains why uh, Legends did some things that, well that this game hasn't it's because clearly they they the lessons that were learned from legends couldn't be applied to this because it was already it was already probably uh two years well maybe not two years maybe a year and a half into development or maybe um, it's just too far along or just too far along yeah but i mean that's just another indication that clearly releasing pokemon games at this rate is just not sustainable and they have to see that it makes me very sad because i mean somewhat minor minor spoilers but at least for violet the big like story theme of the game is you can't rush the future and you should not try to <laughs> make the future happen before it's time and it's like you're right you're a bit on the nose aren't you oh i can just imagine those poor developers like ruefully coding that into the game and just being like yeah friggin tell me about it yeah it's a it's a shame this really has a a lot of fantastic ideas and a really really great cast except for like one character who's just kind of whatever but like everyone else is really good which one's that literally the white bread character um literally the white bread trainer uh 
okay. In terms of like characters who are actually like really major to the story, mm-hmm. my first thought about Nimona was that she's fine. Um, what I like about how these games separate the three storylines is that the characters don't uh, cross their lanes. So Nimona, who is the, I'm going to battle you every time because my whole life is battling and that's my character. She doesn't interrupt you when you're doing other things. You go into the gym, you know Nimona's going to be there because that's her area. But when Mm. you go do the Team Star stuff, she doesn't interfere. When you do the Titan stuff, she doesn't interfere, which is nice. She's not like stepping on your toes. She's not too invasive. She's not doing a Majima everywhere. Right. Um. (laughs) Yeah. I assume that that's more endearing than uh, what Pokemon characters do, though, where they're like, hey, I know you want to go buy clothes, but I need someone to read with me in the library, and they drag you by force to the library. You know, like, okay, Lily, please stop. (laughs) Um, Like, the characters aren't very invasive in this game, which is nice, (laughs) but um, the other two characters, uh, Arvin and Penny, have really strong character development, and Nimona has none. Mm. So by the end of it, Nimona being not annoying was not enough for me to like her when you have two really great characters right over there. One thing I uh, liked about Arvin was that his arc is pretty quick because when I first met him at the lighthouse, I hated him. I was like, this guy's annoying. He's a jerk. I don't want to see his face anymore. And then like after the first Titan, I started to warm up to him and be like, oh, he's just kind of a little bit difficult guy. Um, and then by the end of the Titan storyline, I was like, no, don't go. I'm going to follow you everywhere. Arvin needs to be protected. Aww. Holy moly. What a guy. For Penny, um, I'm not going to spoil it, but I was talking to my sister about Penny and the whole Starfall, uh, Starfall storyline. And I was on the second uh, base, I believe. And then I just told my sister, like, I'm pretty sure X, Y, and Z are going to happen because A, B, C. And she just looked at me like, how did you figure that out? I was like, well, it's you can tell pretty much right away how the story is going to go. But the Mm. character is still super endearing, even if it's pretty predictable. Um, Like Nikki said, it's, she's very good character and very endearing, but, uh, and Nimona's whole thing is definitely all about, I'm just going to fight you. So Mm. I agree with, uh, she doesn't really do anything special, but as someone whose last Pokemon game was um, brilliant diamond and shining pearl, uh, I hated the rival in that game completely. So if I get someone who literally only wants to fight and stays out of my way, I'm happy with that. Yeah, exactly. Like, Nimona's not nearly as annoying as the annoying rivals, but wow, like, she doesn't change at all. And it's like, okay, well, at least I have Arvin and Penny. Um, I mean, you have, I guess you have, uh, you know, friends? I don't really know. I, well, supporting characters, but the question that, you know, the reason why people play Pokemon games is because of, the Pokemon. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the starters this time around? Uh, interesting. They're characters. They are definitely little guys. Well, well, the games have been out. I guess I can talk about these. Uh, the cat stands up, of course. Um, and honestly, I, I, I don't mind. Um, he's a little magician, and I think that's clever. He, he'll throw flowers at you and make them explode. That's neat. He has a cute little mask. I like him. Um... Uh, Quaxley's evolution is pretty spicy. I think that's a that's a really good one. He's a very very uh, spicy little guy. He loves to dance. He makes me want to dance. 
um, very nice. Yeah. Was Quaxley your starter? Then? No, I picked Sprigatito. Mm-hmm. I I, uh, I said, you know, I love cats and I don't mind magic cat. Um, but I did do a trade so that I could have Quaxley on my team because that <laughs> what a glow up. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Oh, I, I really love this guy. Uh, Quaquaval is great. He was my starter, and I went in blind, so I didn't see his second one. And then when I saw his final one, like my jaw almost dropped. I was like, this is probably the best um, final evolution that I've had in my party. Um, he is extremely Silvando from Dragon Quest Eleven. <laughs> yeah. And, oh my god, like, he I is. am here for it. Like, if you see him in motion, it's amazing. Yeah, have to link, link to some gifts or something. I love his animation. I love, like, I mean, most people know this about me. Gen 5 is my favorite gen. And, you know, part of that is uh, that the sprites are very lively and animated. And that gives so much personality to the Pokemon. And uh, that didn't translate uh, for all of them moving into 3D. But when I see a Pokemon that's moving, I'm like, heck yeah, that's great. Like, wow. Like. Quaquaval is just just gorgeous in motion. Really wonderful. Um, you gotta see it to believe it, as they say. I'm I'm getting real I'm getting real Dewey Duck vibes from the first one from Quaxley. Not just because he's blue either. He's a little guy. He's a little guy. And what about the uh the crocodile one? What's cool about the crocodile Ooh. one is that um even though Sprigatito stood up, it was all a sacrifice so that um, Fue Coco would sit down. Um, we finally have a quadruped fire starter. He becomes this giant, like a skeleton, uh, like day of the dead crocodile who sings. And it's very, very nice. He My is goodness. a singer, which is amazing. Yeah, it's very <laughs> cute. I really like that about him. And Fue Coco was my starter. Yay. That is nice. They're cute. All three of them are really cute Pokemon. Yeah, and they're all, I mean, it's probably obvious, but they're all performing art uh, themed. Oh, you're right. They are, aren't they? That's funny. Um, so who was everyone's starter? Uh, Hillary, you said uh, he was yours? Yep. And Nikki says Sprigatito. Sprigatito right. was yours. Des, oh, and who Des was your said star- Quaxley, right? Yes. Quaxley? Yep. Oh, so the you guys had all three starters. Here. Yeah. Gang's all here. Well, that's nice. Um, they all look like a a, a pretty cute bunch. Um, does, does your starter have any effect on, you mentioned there are different storylines in the game. Does your starter have any effect on which storyline you should probably follow first? I don't think so. They really do like throw you to the wolves right away. So you can start catching like a bunch of wild Pokemon right off the bat. So I don't think it really like plays that much of a role Mm -mm. in where you should go first. It's just where you feel like going. Yeah, it affects the gym storyline a little bit just because Nimona picks her starter based off what you pick as usual, but not anything different than other games. There's one character in Starfall Street who has a Pokemon based off of what starter you pick, but it's only for one battle, so... um, yeah, it really is not that much of a, um, like, it's not really a big factor, I think. Unless you're going to do a solo run, in which case, uh, y- good luck, figure that out. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> well, uh, starters aside, so how many, 
I, I don't know how many Pokemon are in this game about like how many hundreds I imagine there are quite a few um the regional Pokedex is 400 okay um what else does Scarlet and Violet bring to the series that's like kind of new and innovative besides the open world like does it bring uh any like what the new Pokemon that it brings to the brings to the games to, are, there, are any of them really interesting or cool that will possibly move on in the future one is very personally relevant to you and that's Lechonk. 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 Oh, Lechonk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hang on. I I need to see this. Lechonk. Yes, he's the little Lechon. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's a nice little reference. Oh, I have a Lechonk uh, outbreak in my game right now that I want to go and, and uh, attack. The, uh, the hog pirate Lechonk. The hog pirate Lechonk. <laughs> That's funny. Um, oh, that is cute. Okay. That's nice. Um, so, I mean, I imagine there are quite a few new Pokemon in this game, but uh, what what does this bring to the party that Legends didn't? Let me put it that way. I really do think it's that integration of the three storylines. Um, okay. I think it's very clever. I think it is a strong way of including the gym leaders while also having the uh the villainous team and one extra storyline in this case the uh titans and incorporating them in a way that is fresh that is you know very new and enjoyable and uh you know gives players that freedom that makes it really feel like an adventure of their own uh creation mm. And yeah, I think um, just the characters not treading on each other's toes is really, really big. And I think it is uh, overall very uh, clever. It's it's still Pokemon, but it is actually genuinely different. That's really exciting. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that. I think that hopefully what's going to happen is over the next few uh, weeks, hopefully the next few weeks, not months, but the next few weeks, they will... Uh, fix up the game, fix the bugs. They will clean things up quite a bit. And once they do that, this game probably will have legs for a few years, uh, at least until the next gen gets released. Um, because it sounds like it's a pretty darn good game and that if these bugs weren't here, its reception would have been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I think they may do something like that because one of the biggest bugs that I've heard about that I thankfully did not encounter was that the Elite Four music does not work. Um, so I think they want to get that fixed up because that would legitimately um, hamper someone's enjoyment considering how good the music is. So, <laughs> Yeah, please. the music's yeah, pretty imagine. strong in this one too, I'd say. Yeah, so they definitely have something that is like very relevant for them to fix as soon as possible. Interesting. Um, well, hopefully they do fix it up and hopefully what uh, this game does well, they will continue to bring into future entries in the series. Um because, you know, it's always nice when series get better, especially when they're very long-running series. Um, this is a transition to the next game, which is another long-running series that has often not brought what is good into the next uh, the next entry of the series, and that is Star Ocean. Okay, yeah, haha. Uh, Star Ocean. Um, st a brand new Star Ocean game got released a few weeks ago, Star Ocean The Divine Force. It is the sixth Star Ocean game. Uh, Des reviewed it, and... Uh, I think that a lot of people met this Star Ocean game with 
um, if not overwhelming amounts of enthusiasm as overwhelming amounts of relief that it was good. It was good. It was a good Star Ocean game for the first time in quite some time. Isn't that right, Des? Yeah, uh, I think the first thing on at least my mind and all of my friends' minds who like Star Ocean are, one, where the heck did this game come from? Because based on how the last one sold and the budget it had, this one shouldn't exist. And then just kind of based on how the one before that, um, how that just simply existed, um, we can go into more of that later. Um, This seems like it came out of nowhere, both its um, announcement it's released like the short release window from announcement and the general reception. Like me, when I was playing through it, I was pleasantly surprised. And, you know, to, to reiterate, it's like, how the heck does this exist? Well, it's funny that you say, how does this exist? Um, as it's, it's been a little while and the last few games haven't exactly gotten an overwhelm, an overwhelmingly positive reception. So uh, why don't you remind our audience uh, a little bit, uh, if they are not familiar with Star Ocean, what exactly is Star Ocean? Like, what is the the, the world slash universe of the game? So Star Ocean is, it kind of spans the galaxy in a sense. It's one of those RPGs or JRPGs like Fantasy Star, where it kind of combines like fantastical elements, you know, like knights and magic and dragons. Uh, with a lot of sci-fi elements, you know, like spaceships and laser guns and space travel, time travel, all that kind of stuff. It's for the longest time, it and Fantasy Star have always kind of been like the two big ones, at least that I knew about here in the West. And any Fantasy Star fan will tell you that the series kind of lost its way after Fantasy Star Online for the uh, Dreamcast and GameCube and Xbox and all that. But Star Ocean's always kind of been the same in a sense that it's always been a single player linear narrative focused uh, kind of experience where you're still mixing in those sci-fi futuristic elements with a underdeveloped kind of fantasy world. Mm. So to me, at least what I said in my uh, review is that it's always been like the premier sci-fi JRPG franchise and that it's the only one that hasn't really gone through an identity crisis for better or worse. It does know what it is. And uh, most people that I know have played Star Ocean 2, which is the second story. That's kind of the most beloved one that has the least issues out of the bunch. And then I know quite a few people who have played Star Ocean 3 or Till the End of Time, the PS2 one. I believe that's the highest selling one. And if you ask anyone who's played Star Ocean, they'll probably have fond memories of that one, except for the ending, um, which I don't want to spoil. But everyone I've met who has played it has been like, oh, I don't like the ending. I must admit, my experience with the Star Ocean franchise is somewhat limited to the first entry in it, and not just the first entry uh, remake. I've I played a fan translation of Star Ocean for the Super Famicom many decades ago. I really, really liked it. I thought it was a really interesting original idea for an RPG. Um, and this is a game that I could fully be convinced to uh, give a shot. Um, and your review has uh, piqued my interest because I am a sci-fi guy. I'm, despite the fact that I love JRPGs, I'm not really a fantasy guy. I love science fiction. So the fact that this does science fiction really well apparently is interesting to me. Yeah, and it, it does depend on who you pick. So like Star Ocean 2, you have the dual protagonists. So you get Leticia and then Raymond. So Leticia is the princess, the, the knight you might have seen in some of the screenshots uses two swords. Um, heavy armored, which is a really cool design. It's 
probably one of the least like sexualized designs in the series. And it just looks really cool to have this heavily armored princess um, wielding swords. And then the other protagonist is Raymond, who's the guy with the really awful slash really good mullet. Um, <laughs> Hang on, let me check and, this guy. Let me check out this guy's. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's glorious. Yeah, it's amazing. And at first, I thought it was like a really stupid design. And then the more I kind of you know learned about his character and his history and stuff, I was like, actually, this I can I can roll with this. Um, but what's really interesting with the game is, and I, I mentioned it in the review, is that when you pick your protagonist, you kind of get more of the fantasy side for Leticia or more of the uh, sci-fi side up front for Raymond. It can lead to a little bit of confusion at first mm. um, because like with Raymond, you get, oh, here's why we're in space. Here's why we're being attacked. Here's this planet. Here's why we're going to end up on the planet. Here's how we meet the princess. But with Leticia's side, it is basically just, oh, we're on a journey. Oh, crap. That's a comet. Boom. Hey, space guy. And then it kind of goes from there. Um, so it can be a little eh, disorienting, but at first I thought it was kind of a bad idea. I was like, why would you do this? But thinking back on it, I thought it's it kind of evokes that same sense of, you know, how you would react if some dude in a comet with a mullet smashed into the ground <laughs> in front of you. And you're like, who are you? Why are you here? Um, this is confusing. What's going on? It was kind of disorienting, but kind of in retrospect i actually like how they did it i know i like how you just kind of the way you described that it made it sound like if he had a less ridiculous haircut she would have been totally fine with it but it was the <laughs> mullet that got her it's She's the like, mullet that's what i was thinking like yeah, that's that's the big problem right coming well, out of the comet that happens out. every day <laughs> but rocking a mullet it's like bro that's from the 80s right exactly i might think there's time travel involved that's not normal <laughs> unless Go you're back in to the pokemon 80s. scarlet and violet then maybe it is normal maybe that's where he's from yeah um actually doesn't the dad professor in pokemon have like kind of a mullet going on like a side undercut mullet that'd be a really great idea for a pokemon actually if each if each evolution had a progressively worse haircut from three different decades what's <laughs> yeah. What's really great um, is if you see his extended family, mm-hmm. bad hair is in their blood. Like oh, bless. his brother, his brother has the kind of haircut you would think like someone from the movie Hackers might have. So it's like mostly oh, no. a shaved head with like some '90s um, longer strands that are dyed blonde, and he's got these like cyber glasses on. Oh my good his, god! His dad looks like a used car salesman from 1985 wearing like a leopard skin vest and his skin's all leathery and so he looks like he wants to sell you a used spaceship so the whole family is kind of like you know has that vibe going for them and it's actually pretty awesome um that they're willing to kind of step outside of you know pretty anime boy or you know special space guy Oh they just God. got this his brother dude his brother looks like a rejected design from deus ex <laughs> and then when you see his dad his dad just looks like I don't know, like the Tiger King in 3,000 years. So I hope that, that is wasn't too loud. The uh, car flew by. Vroom, vroom. Yeah. That um, was that, that was his brother driving by in a car. <laughs> He's like, I got you, you spaceship. Um, well, I mean, the cast looks pretty strong, uh, if ridiculous. But how's the story? Does the story match the cast? So the story is actually pretty solid. Um, I played through on Leticia's side. And um, as I was mentioning, she kind of deals more with like the the politics of their world of like, kingdoms on the brink of war and how they treat their people what was also kind of interesting is that in said kingdom they have a sudden 
uh, pandemic, that outbreaks, and they have to explain to people how masks work and why they protect you and those around you. So it was hmm. kind of interesting and a little, uh, I guess, contemporary uh, or, you know. <laughs> um, Fascinating. Yeah. And it was really interesting. And I was like, huh, I wonder how some people are going to be like, no, they don't work. Um It'd be really yeah, funny times. if it gave you like a plus 10 to resistance if you put on a mask in the game. <laughs> it is really amusing to see everyone wearing them. And, you know, it, it does help stop the spread of the uh, disease. But uh, it was just kind of interesting how they delve so deeply into like the princess and her ties to the kingdom. Um, when you play as Raymond, you're kind of dealing with more like the Federation, this kind of series spanning good guy slash bad guy, depending on the game that you're playing. Um, and... One thing I really appreciated was like how Leticia is very, you might notice in some of the trailers, her voice acting is super stiff and extremely practiced. At first, I thought she was kind of like, ah, she's not so great at voice acting. But upon listening to it for, you know, 40 hours, it's, it's extremely uh, on purpose. Like she was raised this way to talk in a very particular sense that's extremely respectful and leaves no room for error. It was but a specific she's still choice. practicing it. Yeah, so she'll be like, oh, you are the king of this nation who is respected. And like, there's a really weird cadence to it, but you can tell she's trying her best to play that like, you know, don't say anything, don't put any emotion to certain words, don't insinuate anything, you know, be stiff, be straight, you know, just be clear. Yeah, you first started, I was in your review, you mentioned that when you... uh when you tried out the demo, you were playing as Raymond because that's you could only select Raymond, and then you switched over to her for the actual game. Um, how did they cross over? Like, how do their stories cross over? Is it is it clean? Is it confusing? It's pretty clean for the most part. So early on, you kind of cross paths and you stick together as a party, mm-hmm. and you get more people along the way. But as you go through the storyline, you will kind of break off into two parties or. Maybe Raymond does something while Leticia is doing something else, and you might have all of Leticia's crew with you, and Raymond's with his. But when they come back together, there's not a whole lot of like, you know, oh, here's an update on what happened, or here's what we were talking about, or here's what we were doing. So it can be a little confusing because, like in the review, I said I would have had no idea that Raymond was doing some massive dungeon with apparently really cool music that. Well, he was doing all of that. I was dealing with like political uprising and essentially a Dynasty Warriors kind of map. Oh. So it does encourage a replay to kind of see what his side is like. But uh, the story and just kind of the game in general starts to drag within the last, I would say, like 10%. So it did kind of put me off about it. But I definitely want to go back and see Raymond's side and just see like what he was up to or how he met some of his uh, party members. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. You did mention in the review that it starts to wear out its welcome around the end of the game due to the the style of dungeon and things like that. Yeah, so essentially it's a game that feels like it should have ended maybe five hours before it actually ends because oh, no. you get to a big climactic moment and you fight this boss and they're down and then you're like, all right, this is it. We're done. We'll figure out the rest later. No, we're going to go somewhere else and then kind of do it again. Ah. And then we're going to go somewhere else and do it again and normally that's not too much of an issue to me as long as you know something is new and exciting but the problem that i had uh with like the last 10 percent is that the villain never has anything new to say in his argument it's always essentially Mm -hmm. like 
I must do this. And the party's like, you can't do that. We'll stop you. And he goes, but I must beat him down. He runs away, go to the next place. And then he's like, you don't understand. I must do this. And it's, it kind of gets infuriating after a while. Someone really should give him a, 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 you know, some advice on how to debate party members. <laughs> yeah. He, it, it does actually, speaking of debate, it does sound like he's just trying to filibuster you so that you'd be like, okay, shut up. We'll let you do whatever you want to do. But it's, it's one of those dudes that very clearly shows that some people cannot be reasoned with. And sometimes violence is the only answer, um, which maybe that's not what I should have taken away from that game, but that's what I got. It's a really interesting story and I'm glad it's not as cringy and painful as four. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned that, you know, this one doesn't have like, you know, the, Oh, shower scenes or. I am very appreciative of that. And I'm excited that there's the sort of the dual stories because that's something yes. I liked a lot about too. Yeah, and like with two is you had kind of exclusive scenes, and if I remember right, if you played as like Claude, you didn't know really what Rena was doing, and right. vice versa. So it did kind of encourage you know, oh well, now I beat the game, I'm going to go try Rena's story. Mm-hmm. It it does encourage that, but with how long that last stretch is, it kind of kind of like ah, maybe come back in like six months or so does it have a new game plus or anything like that so you're not just starting from scratch um i believe so i actually haven't started it because the moment i saw credits i was like all right i'm done pop it out of my system i will come back to this later and well you also had to write the review <laughs> yeah well um you mentioned that uh violence is often the answer so how's the combat in the game how does it play uh i think it's personally the best that star ocean combat has been um, if you've played Star Ocean 2, 3, and 5, they're all kind of cut from the same cloth in terms of like how they play. You have uh-huh. your like short range, long range, you know, single button presses, all these certain skills. You're swapping characters a lot. With this one, it kind of takes, I would say, some of the earlier games and combines them with, um, I would say, a little bit of Star Ocean 4 if you played that one. Um, that one in particular was a, a departure for the series in terms of combat. But this one, it's taken a lot more action RPG elements to it. So you have like the, the AP bar where certain moves cost certain AP. If you stop attacking, you get it back. And the better you do, the more like AP or, or action points you get. So if you're aggressive, you're dodging, you're doing all sorts of crazy moves, you're going to get rewarded with that. The downside is that if you're doing poorly it's going to just keep beating it into you by taking away ap from you so you might be like oh i have three ap i'm getting the crap kicked out of me the move i want to use to block this is it costs four ap so it does kind of put the pressure on you but the thing that i found was that like i had so many moves at my disposal that i could answer pretty much anything Um, so i felt the combat was really great it was really exciting even in the last 10% of the game where I felt like everything was dragging, I still enjoyed all the fights. Um, and Duma, the little the little robot you might have seen in any of the screenshots, kind of turns it into a character action game almost. And I feel like this year I've been like referencing character action stuff a lot. Um, so if I sound like a broken record, it's, it's kind of scratching that itch. And I'm definitely loving the combat in this. And I think it is the best the series has been. Neat. So... This game actually does give you some hope for the future of the series. Absolutely. And one thing that I I did notice is that this is a tri-ace game through and through. It is, as I said in the review, the most Star Ocean that a Star Ocean game can be. And I'm super hopeful because it feels like tri-ace finally found their way back 
to what made the series special, just what they loved about it, what they liked creating about it. And it mm-hmm. kind of feels like it's for everyone in a sense. Because, you know, I could show you Star Ocean 4 and you'll probably cringe and then say, I'm never going to play this series ever. That's weird. But with this one, I think I could easily sell you on it and just say, if you liked one, you should play two, maybe three, and then this one. Not in any particular order, but I think if you definitely liked one, there'll be a lot that you liked about this one. Okay. That's really, really nice to hear. I'm glad yeah. that the series is apparently getting... Uh, a second, well, sixth wind, third wind. <laughs> if we count there. the mobile game and all the remakes, probably like a tenth wind. <laughs> yep. There. But it's Ugh. and then seeing that it's selling pretty well, at least in the West, is it makes me feel good because Trice is one of my favorite developers. So there's kind of been rumors that they might be on the brink of bankruptcy if this doesn't do well. So yeah. seeing it review well and sell pretty well. I'm super hopeful that we get a Star Ocean 7 and hopefully one that will move past the ending of Star Ocean 3. Anyone who's played that game and knows the ending will know what I'm talking about and probably mm-hmm. share the same hope. Oh, that that makes me incredibly happy because I've been so hopeful for Tri-Ace for a while. Like I loved Valkyrie Profile so much and Star Ocean 2, so this is really good to hear. And then another thing that'll probably sell you on it is if you look up Midas, he's the mage. He's extremely buff and he wears a steampunk like Regalia, but he's a mage. So nice. he looks like he'll put you in a headlock and then like summon a meteor on you, but he's great and I'm all the designs have been super fantastic. Some are a little... Uh, more skeevy than others but it's nowhere near oh my god he looks like a nikki he looks like an ace attorney antagonist (laughs) you know i just looked him up and you're right i think if strongheart took a few different turns in life this would be him so this is part of the uh this is part of the uh more fantasy side of things i guess space strongheart yes he's 37 He's I'm just older than this guy. <laughs> I'm, oh, jeez. Let's close. not talk about JRPG character ages. <laughs> he looks but like he's 68. <laughs> he like a, a really very, buff 68. Yeah, he's a very tired old man who's done with everybody's crap. All he wants to do is read books but and okay, probably do a bunch of that, push-ups. So when he's like, I don't want anything to do with this, you kids go summon meteors elsewhere. I feel that energy and I'm here for it. <laughs> His affiliation is the kingdom of... Arceus? Arcelsius? Uh, I believe it's Aurelius. It's been a while Aurelius. since I looked at the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom. Actually, Aurelius is Leticia's last name. Okay. Well, oh, the reason why I was asking specifically about that is because I saw it and I thought, hey, that's a perfect way to transition into our last game for the episode. Ooh. Um, thank you, Des, for telling us uh, a little <laughs> bit about Star Ocean Divine Force because no it problem. sounds like it sounds like it really could be a... Uh, I don't want to say a new start, but at the very least, maybe it will give them a direction they can go in the future. Yes. So please go buy it so that Trias continues to exist so that I can hopefully someday get Valkyrie Profile 3. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people feel that. Um, yep. Okay. I, going back to my transition. So Kingdom, there is a browser game out there called Kingdom of Loathing, and it is a very old browser game. It's been around for years and years and years over 20 years over 20 years and uh and a few years ago uh they released a uh, a turn-based rpg that i reviewed for the site and i absolutely adored called west of loathing and hillary also really really loved it and then a few weeks ago out of friggin nowhere 
uh, they dropped a brand new loathing game called Shadows Over Loathing. Uh, this was a big surprise. Uh, Hillary, there is from Asymmetric Games. It's not really a sequel. It's just it's like a game that takes place in the same world. Um, and Hillary, you got to review it. And to cut to the chase, you loved it. I did. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I have always been a huge fan of Loathing's style of writing, their narration. Um, it sort of harkens back to me, like, to those days of early adventure games where you'd have the kind of, like, sassy narrator. Um, mm-hmm. y- you get some of that. And it's it's just really, really clever. And it will yeah. actually make you laugh. Um, so when I found out about this, I was so incredibly excited. Yeah, me too. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, like, the world of loathing? Yeah, okay. Um, so there are three main ability areas in the world of loathing uh they are your muscle moxie and mysticality and i think that kind of explains a lot about what the game's (laughs) about just that they describe the stats that way Mm -hmm. um and so this time they kind of applied that to a 1920s vaguely kind of lovecraftian horror theme um there's some agatha christie kind of murder mystery stuff thrown in there as well um some random early football so much (laughs) absurd humor yeah, a lot of absurd humor. Like the whole game is absurd. Like the currency of loathing is meat. Yes, the currency is meat. I think that's one of the, that's, I also say that in the review to just kind of give a taste of what the game's about. Um, but yeah, so in this one, you can be either a pig skinner, which is like early football. That's the muscle based class, a jazz agent, which is the one I picked, which is the moxie based class and kind of does more ranged attacks or a cheese wizard which is the mysticality kind of mage class. That's the class I picked. I played this game uh, and I it was just fantastic. So yeah, I was a cheese wizard. And what ends up happening is you have a kind of like fairly standard spooky beginning. You get a, a letter from your uncle uh, who needs your help. He runs an antique store. Uh, your bus runs out of gas. You have to figure that out. You get to Ocean City where he lives and you find out that the antique store is sort of, but not completely a front And what your Uncle Murray's been doing is finding and neutralizing cursed artifacts, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun in itself. So the game is a bunch of chapters based around finding these cursed artifacts. And depending on, you know, the side quests you do and how you approach uncursing or not the artifacts, um, it can lead you in some different directions and you'll see what happens with this sort of Lovecraftian horror elements at the end. I would say that the first thing that people would notice about the Loathing series is its very unique visual style. So the world of Loathing is stick figures. It started out as, you know, browser-based RPG. They wanted to make it, you know, run well with few resources. So it's stick figures, but they're so expressive. I love them. And I think the animations in this one in particular, they work really well. This looks very similar to, I mean, if you ever had like a lined notebook uh, that you would doodle in, Mm -hmm. in like math class or English class or something like that in like junior high, high school, and like not really putting a ton of effort into it, but it kind of looks like a very advanced version of that. Like it's like that expanded into a whole world. Yeah, that expanded into kind of a dynamic world where you can move through it. And there are some actually pretty nice looking like lighting effects sometimes and things like that. And some some somewhat detailed backgrounds 
depending on where you go. Yeah, it kind of it kind of looks a little bit like an even less of an even uh, more minimalist version of uh, Teen Girl Squad from uh, Homestar Runner. <laughs> That's a good comparison, actually. Yeah, um, but just because it looks simplistic, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is simplistic. In fact, a lot of the environments are extremely detailed in a deliberately minimalistic way. Mm-hmm. And there are some tricky puzzles. Yeah, uh, there's a ton of puzzle solving here. It's way more than you'd expect from an RPG with a uh, turn-based combat system. It's really like graphic adventure levels, I would say, because some of the like some of the solutions are dialogue-based and you have to go to different locations and come back and all sorts of stuff. I would argue that this game is closer to a, in terms of its style, it's closer to a tabletop RPG than it is like a turn-based JRPG, even though it does use turn-based combat that looks like a a simplified version of like a Final Fantasy or something like that. Um, A lot, there's a lot of environmental puzzles, character puzzles, things like that. Um, There are time travel puzzles. This game has some of the best time travel uh, puzzles that I've played since uh, Dishonored 2 or maybe even Chrono Trigger. It really does. And there are a lot of them. And you, based on like the location, you can kind of move your ability to time travel to different locations and some of them have several steps to like solve kind of a complex historical event. Oh yeah. Can I, I'm going to spoil oh, do it. solutions. So if someone, if you're listening and you don't want anything spoiled, don't listen to this. But my favorite solution is uh, there's an entire, you, you visit a uh, historical reenactment village, which apparently had witch trials. I uh, like, 300 years beforehand where they fake Salem fake Salem yeah fake Salem where they would like where they you know they burn witches at the stake so you time travel back in time and you discover that this is just archaeologists were just mistaken there were no witch burnings it was just a bunch of kids who uh were accusing uh, a little girl of stealing their stuff and one of them he accuses her of stealing his pocket watch and to get her out of trouble you need to find his pocket watch so you talk to his mother and his mother says oh you know he loves that pocket watch so much he's going to be he says he wants to be buried with it someday so the obvious solution is to go back to the present dig up his grave get the pocket watch bring it back in time give it to his child self and then tell his child self i found this with your corpse see you got it back so she couldn't have taken it (laughs) yes um it's it's ridiculous and it's awesome and I love it. That And that trial, I mean, there are at least like two or three other things that you have to do to get her cleared in that trial. The pocket watch isn't the only thing. Oh yeah, that's just one of the things you need to do. Um, yeah. It's such, it's like a magical game. It's so imaginative uh, in the way it does, in everything it does. It's funny, it's inventive. Um, map exploration is interesting too because I, I, don't, I don't know if I call it open world, but there are so many different locations in this uh, in this game. Yeah, <laughs> there's a running gag where like most of the maps you get for the different locations are not actually maps. Uh, the swamp map is a sponge. Yep. I think one is like a diner flyer, but then all the diners in the area close down. Um, mm-hmm. So it's cute. But yeah, there. I mean, West of Loathing to me was actually kind of overwhelming with like the the number of locations and like things you could seek out. Um, Shadows of Loathing has some of that. Like it's got a few locations that are pretty full of different places and you can discover some of them by wandering. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt like they were a little bit better connected in this one. I think so too. Um, I think the game, maybe it was the way it was divided into these various chapters. Um, 
Incidentally, the chapters does not mean linear. It doesn't mean like you can only nope. you you have to go to a specific place. Once a new chapter starts, you can still go to all of the locations uh, from the prior areas. So if there there are a ton of side quests in this game, so you can go back to the side quest areas yeah. uh, and and complete them at any time you want. The chapters just kind of indicate like where the focus is if you want to advance the main plot. Yeah, it opens up mm-hmm. a brand new location, like a, mm-hmm. a brand new area that you can explore. Another thing that this game has uh, that. West of Loathing also had, which was, it, it's uh, terrific music. Oh my gosh, Ryan, I did the soundtrack again, and I'm I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. I, <laughs> I remember booting up the game, starting it for the review, and hearing that main theme over the title screen, and mm-hmm. just going like, oh, this must be him again, this is so good. It's, it's dramatic, but, and it's over the top, kind of in a way that fits with the humor, and just kind of the off-the-wall nature of some of the situations you find yourself in in the game. I 100% agree. Like, the, the music from West of Loathing was ridiculous and wonderful and inventive, and I find that it does a lot of the same thing is, uh, a lot of the same qualities are found in this game, especially with the the music of the period, which is a lot of jazz. That's actually another, uh, I think th- this might even be, like, the pull quote in my review, but there's just something magical about a game where um, you can attack and inflict cumulative damage on your enemies by adding a saxophone line to oh the God, music. Oh, God, it's so funny. I, I started a jazz agent playthrough, and it's I hilarious. I being a jazz agent. Yeah, it's it's great because, like, the, the battle music starts, and then, like, as you attack, like, it will add instruments to the battle music, mm-hmm. which is so clever. And then there's a, a attack you get later on, which is a drum roll that will power up your next weapon attack. Oh, that's and it hilarious. just keeps drum rolling until you make the weapon attack. Yep. See, I find my favorite games, I think, not, I mean, obviously, sometimes I like, you know, dead serious games and dead serious stories, but I, something I've always admired is incredibly high levels of effort and just the amount of work that goes into something that is just supremely silly. And that's kind of what I feel like the soundtrack and the, the art style and and a lot of the text it's like the game is silly it's ridiculously silly but they do not need to go this hard so to speak on the writing and the music and and the inventiveness of the game like they, they really do. don't and they do yeah it's it's really, it's really re- good it's really something special um it's designed to be played a multiple times uh yes with with different 100%. protagonists with different classes and approaches like just the prologue itself um have you can't complete everything in the prologue in your first run like you have to do it a couple of different times Mm -hmm. in order to uh see everything that's even in the prologue and that approach is you know the same throughout the game and you have different um partners Mm -hmm. and assistants that you can get throughout the game who did you have who did you take with you i'm curious i kind of went with i went with um uh the roboticist once i got her yeah simone me too yep simone um Um. (laughs) I also uh, had, so there's Gabby the Flapper Goblin, which is amazing. The Flapper Goblin, yeah. Because goblins then, were a race in West of Loathing, and most of them are flappers in this game, which is and Yeah, and really I mean, they go, all, they go all the way back to um, Kingdom of Loathing. I think yep. they're mostly an enemy there. But o- over like the course of Kingdom of Loathing and West of Loathing, they've kind of evolved. And now they're sort of like basically another, you know, I guess, race, like in a fantasy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a like it's there's a surprising amount of lore in the loathing series. I guess that's what happens when you have twenty years worth of uh, content. There is um, there is a ton of text here. Like 
the beginning of your review really cracked me up because it was the beginning of your review. You you did like a little a, a little parody of the kind of choices that you're confronted yep. with in uh, in uh, Shadows Over Loathing. So you say uh, your main objective in this review is to inform readers of the clever, irreverent Loathing game series and discuss its latest installment. They're a little skeptical because they've only heard about Kingdom Loathing and path- passing as that funny stick figure game. What's your approach? And you have things like, I will make readers physically sit down and play this game now. Ten muscle. You can't choose it. <laughs> yes. Or magically transmit the game directly into their minds. Ten mystery, 5G mind control ring. Or my favorite is, buy a copy for everyone who's still reading this. More meat than you currently have. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of thing. If you like text in your games and you like a lot of reading, um, this is a good game to play. It's like a, it's just such a really great mix between a, an adventure game, a turn-based RPG, a... Uh, like oh a text adventure it's i just god i just love it yeah and i mean i i say this in the review if you want like complicated action-oriented combat this this game is probably not for you but i think there's i think there's something to be said just with the sheer number of options in terms of like your classes and the attacks you can learn and the actually there's a and the loathing series series always has this a ton of you know consumable combat items Mm-hmm. And in fact, in some cases, you really do need to use them to be able to, you know, yep. beat fights. Yeah, status effects are no no joke in this. Like, there's some dialogue options that aren't even, well, dialogue and action options are not even open to you unless you have sufficient protection against whatever element. And the elements are great. Like, just another thing to illustrate kind of how funny and irreverent this game is like the elements are like sleaze damage stench damage spooky damage hot damage and cold damage and your weapons can also inflict a variety of those things depending Mm -hmm. on the upgrades that you can put on your weapons it's uh uh, something that something that did slightly annoy me about the game but i understand why it's there is that there is no real i guess save function in the game the game does auto save as you play it but it really auto saves as you play it so if you make a choice, you can't just go back and make another choice. Yeah. It's, Once you do something, you're stuck. Yeah. It really kind of forces you along in that way. And one thing that kind of tripped me up is it isn't 100% clear how to have kind of like multiple playthroughs going at once. So mm. like when I started a new game, I wasn't entirely sure what was going to happen to my previous mm-hmm. data. Luckily, like it saved both, but... You know, with so much auto-saving, it was actually kind of hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, you, you at, the, at the title screen, you get to, there's a choice to choose which character you want to play, mm-hmm. but it's not obvious. It does appear like you only get one save per game, but that's not true. Nope, it is not. You can yeah. have multiple. <laughs> and there's just so much in this game. There's so much you can miss. I am positive that I have missed a ton of content in this game. Um, like, I think one of my favorite things in this game was... Uh, there was a massive parody of a Twilight Zone episode where you have to explore a cornfield where in, where people have been the sent. maze maze the maze maze yeah oh. yeah and you got to find your way around and you got to make the people in the maze happy. It was a pain. They're really demanding. Yeah, but very very funny. Yeah. Or there's there's another one which this is a this is a side quest that I completely missed where you find a farmhouse and you go inside the farmhouse and the farmer there is like. Yeah, I can help you, but you have to promise not to look at my daughter, who is standing directly behind you. And if you look at his daughter, the farmhouse collapses in on itself, and that's the end of it. You can't do anything else. Um, if you did it by accident or intentionally, I did it by accident and just like, oh, okay, yep. well, locked out of that side quest. Yep. 
I did the same exact thing. Yep. It's it's inventive. It's interesting. I, I really, I really, really, really would like people to play this game. Me too. I currently have it sitting in my cart. Uh, so you guys mentioned <laughs> uh, multiple playthroughs. Uh, about how long would you say a playthrough is? It's not a terribly long game per playthrough. I mean, it kind of depends on how many side quests you do too. And once you know them, you know, the time will go down. But I don't know. I feel like you could have finished it in like maybe 10 to 12 hours. And that was with a significant number, not all like side quests. Yeah, Shadows Over Loathing. I played it. I played it in total. I played, I'd say, one and a half playthroughs. I played for 20 hours. So probably yeah, okay. about anywhere from 10 to 15 hours, I would say, per playthrough. Yep. That sounds pretty good because I'm currently playing a ton of very long games such as Cold Steel. So I'm used to 100 hours and Xenoblade and stuff like that. Um, and then also, I guess another question is, so West of Loathing, I never yes. played it, but I always saw it. Mm-hmm. Would, not that they're directly like, you know, sequels or anything, but would you recommend um, checking out West of Loathing before this one? Or do you think just going blind? Because I have them both in my cart and I think I might grab them, but more of a, a question of which one should I tackle first? Hmm. That's um, tricky. For me, I, I think it you could make the choice based on what the setting that you like better, you know, like Wild West or more 1920s Lovecraftian. But I will say there is kind of a chronological sequence in some side quests. So there is kind of a payoff. If you play West first, uh, you'll, you might see some familiar faces. Familiar faces West. or, or carry over jokes. Yep. There's a really good joke about, uh, spittoons oh, God. In, in West of Loathing that has a pretty funny payoff in, uh, in oh. Shadows Over Loathing. Um, I am checking my thing, my Steam library. I played West of Loathing, a full playthrough, and I reviewed it, uh, for 16 hours. So these are not like insanely massive games. You kind of you kind of get what you want out of them, and you can restart them and play again. If I was you, I might play West of Loathing first. Um, I really enjoyed both of them, though. I'm not gonna like it. Just they're so inventive and they're so funny. And if you if you play West of Loathing, make sure you turn the stupid walks on. Oh yes, absolutely. That will make sense to you if you play it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. I'm and- sitting here like. <laughs> Turn on stupid walks. Yes. Yeah, like stupid walks get continued in Shadows of Loathing, where in your in your inventory uh, you can equip. You find a variety of different shoes, and they each added cotton- shoes specifically so you could choose like which silly walk you want to do and wear that yeah. pair of shoes. And they don't add anything to your. They don't add any to anything nope. to your stats. It just enti- it just whatever shoes you wear changes the way that you walk. I like that. Uh, yeah. The the shadows one, and I don't know how I even missed it. Like. The 1920s Lovecraftian thing really kind of speaks to me because I, I definitely like that setting, but it just now hit me during all this like shadows over Loathing or shadow over Innsmouth. I was like, ah. I don't know what that means because I am not a giant Lovecraftian fan, but I understand. <laughs> um, his work can be problematic, um, but I've in heard a, that yes, <laughs> I guess in a like, um, I guess scholastic sense or whatever. Um, it's definitely interesting. It's just very, very, very dense and hard to get through. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, anything that kind of does Lovecraftian stuff that is not Cthulhu is cool with me. Cause I think one that's, that stuff's overrated. So I'm definitely thinking about checking this out and looking at one of the steam pages. Um, it had something interesting that I wanted to point out. Um, authentically baffling 1920s slang is one of their features. And so <laughs> yep. that is 
inappropriate fishing, and then the time travel side quest given to you by your future self. Those three things have kind of sealed oh, the deal. Oh, gosh, that, that quest is yep. a pain. It's interesting, <laughs> but it becomes a pain. It's a pain, and it's, but it's a actually funny really pain. entertaining watching your character get increasingly annoyed by yourself. By yourself. <laughs> by the every single time you, every single time you your your future self approach, or you approach your future self, you're irritated by them and what they're asking you to do. And every time you approach your past self later, you are irritated by how they're acting and just oh, this yeah. person doesn't know what they're doing. Um, it's cute. Well, I'm. I mean, the fact that you're thinking about buying it is. I I am a giant fan of Good. that. Good. Absolutely good. Uh, also, you get boons from cats. So if you're a cat person. Oh, yep. Yeah, you definitely can pet the cats in this game. It's very much encouraged and often a puzzle to figure out how to yes. convince convince the cat to let you pet it. Well, obviously, you have to win their affection. Yes. Um, and they will give you stat boosts. Uh, different cats will give you different stat boosts. So you need to figure out your favorite cat slash stat boost. I mean, mm. most, like, honestly, 90% of this game is figuring out how to have the appropriate stats and or, you know, mm-hmm. Um, invulnerabilities to do certain actions. Yeah, because you do need you do need certain stats to well, like I like I mentioned with Hillary's little uh, uh, parody up there. Like, if you need to open open a heavy door, it's like you can open it if you use ten muscle, or if you have like I don't know nine moxie, you can just push it and it turns out not to be locked, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I recommend this game highly to anyone, and I know you do too, Hillary. I do. And you gave it a 90. I did. I liked yep. it a lot. I think it's a good continuation of the series. I want more from them. I think it's, I honestly think it's pretty polished. I think it's pretty polished too. And it's, it's polished despite the, uh, the intentionally unpolished exactly. visual style. That's the point. Yep. Well, um, I would like to thank all three of you for showing up on the episode today and, uh, and filling us in about some of the games that we've missed over the last few weeks. Um, just giving you a heads up about what's coming up next week on Random Encounter. Uh, well, not next week, two weeks from now. It's going to be our annual Looking Forward to 2023 episode. So that is going to be exactly what it sounds. It's kind of, it's, we kind of do like complementing episodes with Retro Encounter or Retro takes a look at the year behind us and Random takes a look at the year ahead of us. So this is going to be paired up with our, uh, our annual uh games we're looking forward to feature on rpg fan so be sure to keep an eye out for the feature and then once the feature is out we'll be here with a random encounter episode talking about all of the games found in it um i just want to give you a heads up that if you haven't heard uh rpg fan now has a store um i know that the holidays are coming up and god knows i i am very curious about what to get people well get them a mug with uh our shield on it uh, we have tons of stuff at the RPG Fan Shop, so take a look there. It is www.rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, we are not the only podcast here at RPG Fan. We also have two others. So we have Retro Encounter. We just finished Mass Effect Month, and mu- what a month it was. Uh, I got to play through the entire Mass Effect trilogy, plus Andromeda, but we didn't do an episode about that one. Uh, I just loved them. Um, I, I I missed them the first time around. I played them for the first time. They were awesome. Um and coming up next is an episode of Retro Encounter that I I had the best time recording, uh, and that is Muppet Encounter. Uh, and you are going to hear more about that next week. Um, and then in December, Retro is going to be taking a look at Xenosega Episode 1. So keep an eye out for all of that. 
We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast. Last week's episode was all about RPG music that can make your commute seem faster. And then next week is going to be an episode all about Persona music. Uh, And of course, uh, Rhythm is also going to be getting into the spirit of the end of the year. Uh, So there is going to be, of course, a best of 2022 coming out uh, by the end of the year. So keep an ear out for that. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire me off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would love to hear from you uh, if you have any ideas for uh, future episode themes or things that you'd like to hear uh, Random Encounter do in the new year. Uh, Please fire me off a message. I would be happy to respond to it. Um, if you'd like to send me an email uh, directly, either as the uh, the host of Random Encounter or as the uh, review manager, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com. I'm not the only person on this podcast, though, to have an online presence. Hillary, where can we find you online? Yeah, um, I am EP Fire on Discord, and that's the easiest way to find me for RPG fan stuff. Um, and in case you all are curious, uh, I finished Shadows Over Loathing in the cool aviator helmet and a sparkling tutu and i'd love to hear if you play the game what whatever ridiculous clothing items you find please talk to me about that game you didn't finish the game with the giant maggot on your head i did not although my screenshots are with it which is probably a regrettable choice but that's okay giant maggot best helmet in the game i mean it's um, a really good helmet <laughs> it's a really good helmet uh des where can we find you online uh you can find me in the rpg fan discord uh just right click my name send me a message i will talk all things atelier for like 600 years so uh feel free um i avoid twitter uh for increasingly good reasons as time goes on as you can see um so yeah just you know just feel free to say hi uh to me in the rpg fan discord absolutely and nikki where can we find you online uh, i wish i could avoid twitter but i can't i'm trapped someone please send help i'm uh, otome underscore nikki that's N-I-K-I, only one K, two Ks would be a diary. And it feels like I'm trapped in one, so please help me get out. Aw. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if anyone's curious why I've stopped uh, listing my Twitter handle, it's because I don't have a Twitter handle anymore. Uh, I deleted my Twitter account. Um, it was very freeing. Um, and to be completely honest, the only thing I'm really missing now is uh, it was the best source of news about Twitter. And the downfall of Twitter. Twitter, if if you're on Twitter, you are in the know about what is happening on Twitter. That is, now. That is disturbingly I, meta. I know it's very it's very twitception. Um, so yeah, I'm no longer on there. But please fire me off an email uh, if you'd like to uh, message me. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can share it with your friends. You can help us get the word out there, and you can rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. Again, thank you everyone on here for uh, joining me this evening. I really, really appreciate your time. And I really, really appreciate you putting the time into playing and reviewing all of these games. Yeah. And thank you all for sharing the games you reviewed. Like, it was such a fun time. Yeah. Thank you for convincing me to spend $30 on the Loathing games that I've <laughs> never tried. And I will start hopefully soon. I think you're really going to like them. I really Let us do. Know. Yeah. I hope so. Absolutely. Uh, and to all of you out there listening, thank you very much. And uh, whatever you're playing, have fun.